Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast that discusses current events, relevant topics, and emerging issues in pharmacy. I'm your host, Carly McMore, and together with my producer, Jared McMore, and the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, we are bringing you a podcast that draws on the opinions and expertise of pharmacists from all settings and experience levels. From those pharmacists who've already been a voice in the profession, to those who've never had their voice heard before. In this episode of the AJP podcast, we'll be discussing career progression. Has your career turned out the way that you expected it to be? Has it been a linear progression? What are some of the ways that you can enhance your skill set? What are some of the ways that you can add to your resume and give yourself a competitive advantage? We discuss aspects such as volunteer work, having a standard baseline and how pharmacy can really prepare you for many career opportunities and lend its hand towards transferable skills. Please listen in to the several pharmacists that we have who share how their career experience and any advice that they might have for progressing your career as they have learned through their experience and their journey in career progression. Taryn Gill and Tinu Abraham talk about being open and learning whilst getting new opportunities, persisting whilst trying to break into a new career avenue, and asking yourself, am I enjoying what I am doing? They discuss leaving a job with good references, and they share their journeys and building connections with the university and how things don't always work out how they anticipated it. Brilliant. So the next question you've both sort of alluded to, but it's about just your career progression. I guess sometimes people do get stuck in a role or their first job and they don't know what it looks like and what the opportunities are. So I guess a little bit about your journey to kind of motivate the next person who's thinking about starting this or changing this. Okay. So I studied at the University of Auckland. I studied at the University of Auckland in New Zealand and I did my internship in Auckland. And I moved to Alice Springs basically on a whim. My mom is a nurse. She's a mental health nurse at the correction facility there. And I just went to visit her, and I walked in. The I got my first job, walked into the local pharmacy, and she announced to everybody that I was a pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> and I needed a job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so the pharmacy owner, which is Maria, which I talk about, was the one that came up to me and rural Australia, of course they need pharmacists. They said, you want a job? Sit down, interview. Yeah, so I got the first job. But um, who said, uh, the Cornell said something this morning at the um, plenary saying, being open, being, he fell into his career path as well. So I just got to Alice Springs. I didn't know anything about Aboriginal health or nothing about Aboriginal people at all. And I got into that space and I, I, as, um, I got into that space. I found that I really enjoyed working at Congress, which is the local Aboriginal health service there. And I used to look forward to the days I was actually roasted at Congress. We worked with a few other local pharmacies. Uh, I worked at other four, about four other local pharmacies there as well. Um, so I was just, um, I guess, from there, I, was, I enjoyed it for two years. And I thought, what next? It's just been, been open to the next career option. I thought I wanted to try something different. And it was time I was so young, so why not? I wanted to try hospital. And I applied. And um, I applied to a few hospitals. And I was like, yeah, no, not yet. You're not quite. OK. And I kept applying. Yeah, so keep, keep going. And um, I was happy to go anywhere. Like, if you're still single and not attached, not being stuck in a particular place. I went to WA Geraldine to finally get my hospital experience. And I worked for the, um, I worked at the private hospital there, St. John of God. But I worked in, um, I worked with the, as with the, um, it was, the community pharmacy was contracted to send a pharmacist up to the hospital. So that's how I got that. I just, I did an interview about the phone. She's like, are you happy to come? Next day, 
flew in. I got there and I thought I would have a day break. She's like, you're studying work tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so got that experience. I thought, okay, no, this is not for me. But just being open to the next thing and the next mm-hmm. thing and saying, yes, okay, this is not for me. I, I love this. I've got the experience now. And now I know I don't really like this. So what next? Thought, okay, Melbourne um, city. I want to try something in the city. I've been in the country for a while. Let's try the city. Came to the city and I was just open to, I worked at the locum for a while. I worked in a pharmacy that did only aged care. So we did aged care dispensing and there was no, no real community pharmacy, just upstairs doing a lot of aged care around Melbourne and visiting the um, nursing homes. And um, yeah, so I did that for a little bit. Then, yeah, then the Aboriginal Health Service came up and I said, oh, yes, this is, I actually remember enjoying this. I'm going back to what I did do enjoy. So I guess the way my career has sort of turned out is, um, I wish somebody told me about a mission statement. <laughs> Make one now. Make one now. Um, and it can change, by the way. Ch- yeah, I, it can change. Like I, I guess not even, I guess without having a proper mission statement, my, my thing has been, am I enjoying what I'm doing right now? Am I enjoying going to work? Um, and even in my, in the daily, like everyday daily job, I try to go like, oh, a step above for my patient. You try to do the most. Mm. And so people rec- remember and say, oh yeah, I would love to have you back. And every job I've had, they said, if you want to come back, you can, you're always welcome. You want to always live that way, like you said. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so when I, uh, when I apply for the role, yeah, I had, you have good references, good backup, experiences that you didn't know you would need in future. Like, oh yeah, the reason, one of the reasons I got the role was you've worked in Aboriginal health before. Okay, yes. So being open to, is this another advice? No, I'm giving. Yeah. yeah. Being open to explore new opportunities, saying yes as much as you can without over, overburdening yourself or yeah, yeah, and just yeah, every day just showing up as your full, full self to whatever you're doing, yeah. I love how much I'm learning about you three. This is really, this is really awesome. This is interesting. Yeah. It this is, is really why you interesting. Need to listen to all of the I know. <laughs> I have to commit time, and then I'll learn even more from yeah, everyone else. I feel like I want to own a community farm. Yeah, tomorrow. I'm like, yes. <laughs> come, come, <laughs> do it. Um, so, my creep out. So, I have an older brother who's a pharmacist, um, which is why I didn't do pharmacy out of high school. I just my Indian parents would be far too happy. <laughs> I thought I'd be a bit of a pain. But to be honest, I actually really didn't know what I want to do. Um, I did a Bachelor of Science and I ended up – and I worked as a chairside assistant in dental surgery. So my, my employers at that time thought I would do dentistry. My mum always thought, oh, look, you'd be a great GP. And, and then um, I ended up majoring in pharmacology and anatomy and histology. And in that year, the master's course came out. So I'm very grateful for that master's course, even though the first few cohorts, they were probably just working out the course. But it was because there was no way if I had to have gone back and done four years mm. that I would have been a pharmacist and that would have been a shame because I like being a pharmacist. Awesome pharmacist too. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, so the two, yeah, did the two-year course, um, really steep learning curve because you're not sort of um, – spoon fed the way an undergrad course is if I, if I can say that I'm um, just knowing because I've been part of I guess an undergrad course at CSU um, because you're all expected to have a base degree um, and and so um, there, there's a lot of um, self-directed learning I guess and things like that anyway at least when I did it which is quite a while ago now um, and did my intern year on the corner of Pitt, uh, Pitt and Hunter Streets in CBD Sydney um, it was a compounding pharmacy where 
um, which is completely unhelpful for your exam, by the way, when all you're doing is servicing travel vaccines, um, maybe some sexual health stuff, um, and then things like DHEA atrocious and, you know, um, minoxidil suspensions. And yeah, so basically you get to your exam and you're like, whoa, you know. Um, but look, I really enjoyed it. Um, I learned a lot of what not to do. And I actually really am grateful for my preceptor of the time because um, even to this day, the way I check a script is the way he taught me. And that was probably one fantastic thing that he did teach me is, is um, his methodical way of checking a script. Um, that was, um, as I said earlier, at that time of the over the oversupply of so-called pharmacists. So an opportunity came out at sort of like 22 years old to be pharmacist manager of a pharmacy in Orange in New South Wales. So off I went, convinced hubby, resigned from his very nice stable job uh, for an opportunity for me. And it was hard. Those first two or three years were hard. Um, It was the weakest link pharmacy in town, the previous owner. um, So my bosses were the new owners and I was the first pharmacist to go in. Had... Some very poor practices. It was a place in town to get that dodgy S8 script or that dodgy um, Benzo script. It was when you could buy a hundred pain stop and a bottle S2 and 75 Neurofin Plus, you know, S2. Um, so as a young and experienced pharmacist, I um, was having lots of necessary and tough conversations with um, team members of, uh, of like staff or of community members. Um, but we soon became known as the pharmacy that you can't get away with that. Every other pharmacy in town has said, no, but you just go to this one. And I was feeling a little bit disenfranchised and I enacted my, well, how do I um, build a better pharmacy helpless community? And I'd sort of um, befriended a few nurses in aged care and, I, and they would tell, say to me, oh, we shop here, but the nursing home has a contract with this place and, and would tell me all the things that they were doing wrong. And I thought, well, I could do this better. So I did. So I attended for one nursing home and we did a good job of that. And then that nursing home would tell the nurse in the next one and we went from zero beds to 500 beds. Um, and that was a huge steep learning curve for me. Um, and, you know, I started taking on my first interns and that's when I sort of approached Charles State University and said, you know, I'd really like to, even if you, if I could just, you know, be the little actor in your role playing when you do Oscars, you know, sort of started there and, and you sort of find your way in. Um, and so... That was a really, really important time. So that pharmacy then relocated and it went from a sort of a small team of like five, six of us to a team of almost 40 of us in a new site. Um, And I did learn a lot in that time. I I guess I learned a a lot about how to manage a pharmacy and and run a pharmacy and work with a retail manager. Um, But it was really aged care. So did my AACP accreditation as well. So I could do RMMRs and QUM and and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I went off and had a baby. Um, and it's quite funny because if you look at like teams, you have your, your forming, your storming, your norming, and your performing. And in that whole time, I really worked on team culture. I'd like do performance culture matrices and, and really try and work on team culture because culture trumps strategy every time. And in my whole career, there's been about three weeks where I feel like our team was performing and the person to leave because it changes its dynamic every time someone adds to the team and someone leaves the team, it starts again. It was me leaving to have a baby. <laughs> so that really sucked for me because I had, I'd worked for like three years to get us there. Well, not myself, but the team had worked. Yeah. Um, so when I came back, I got the opportunity um, by those same people to, to say, look, I went back and I'd check Webster Packs and I'd do a few HMRs. Um, but they said, would you like to be um, the network pharmacist for this group that had um, about 12, 13 pharmacies at a time? And it was such a fantastic um, opportunity. I got to do all the professional practice development for the pharmacists in the group, um, their sort of their um, recruitment, um, 
there was an equivalent of me that was a retail manager. So I'd go into businesses and I would sit with the retail manager and teach them pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And the retail equivalent of me would sit with the pharmacist. So, for example, the pharmacist will say, we need more of us on a Saturday shift and the retail manager won't roster appropriately. So then I'll go to the retail manager and explain, well, these are the reasons. This is what the pharmacist needs to achieve because they're butting heads. Mm. And then so forth, the, the retail equivalent of me would go to that pharmacist and go, look, this person has to adhere to a budget. And so what are you saying is needed? And we would sort of go in and solve some of these issues. Um, and I got to do their CPD plans. And it was really, really fun because it totally sounds bad, but I got to tell a lot of people what to do without having to do it myself. <laughs> Which I know that sounds terrible, but that's certainly when my um, dispensary business manager and retail business manager now comes into my pharmacy, I kind of go there going, yep, yep, you want us to do all this, but you don't have to do it. You're going to go back and (laughs) expense this lunch and go back to your office, aren't you? And it's me and my team that needs to make this happen. But I have seen it from the other side. Um, What if I had my next baby really thinking, right, you know, I've really proven myself. They're going to let me, they're going to back me. I'm going to own my first pharmacy. And it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Um, uh, they didn't see, they weren't seeing the same things I saw. Our values no longer aligned. Uh, it was really disappointing. You know, you, you think that, um, and I don't begrudge them at all. Like, the reason I'm expressing my disappointment is because it's a true emotion. You think in your mind like, oh, I've got this little plan and this mm-hmm. is how it's going to work out. And then it doesn't and you kind of go, where did I go wrong? And I don't think I did. I think I took some great learnings. Um, and it just comes down to the fact that our values weren't aligned at the moment. And I was on my maternity leave thinking, well, what am I going to do? Um, and this ad came out for hospital. And I thought, oh, my gosh, should I? <laughs> They're just going to call me a retail pharmacist when I get there, which is exactly what they did for the first year. Um, and so anyway, I approached and I looked at all the, the, the criteria. And it was quite funny because if I had tried to go in for a grade one or grade two, I wouldn't have met the criteria. But because it was a high-level position and it was a grade three, I could meet the criteria more easily by looking after a 500-bed aged care facility, um, or um, which is like when I won Young Pharmacy in 2014, it was my work in aged care. So it was really good to have that background because even now where my pharmacy is, aged care is like the forte and we know that with the Royal Commission going to aged care and all the rest of it. Um, and so, yeah, I got an opportunity to do that. And I really valued my experience there. So, um, you know, acute, my ward initially was rehab because it's the most, I guess, chronic ward. You see your patients for six weeks. Um, sitting in on case conference is really interesting because you don't do that in community all that much. Um, but obviously all the acute stuff um, and having theatre. And we were a pretty big hospital. We also have Bloomfield um, Mental Health Hospital there, so largest mental health facility in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and so, and then managing farmers. So I guess the other thing I should mention is I went from managing, you know, in a, a pharmacy will have two or three pharmacists and then like say 15 assistants mm. to managing like 12, 13 pharmacists and three assistants. Ooh, <laughs> that's different. <laughs> um, so anyway, I did learn a lot in that experience and I, a bit like Tina said, I found that it wasn't for me as such. I think it's hard to build rapport if someone's intubated in ICU, mm. um, and if you do get to know a patient and they're a frequent flyer, it means we haven't done a very good job. Whereas your frequent flyer in community is not necessarily in because they're sick, um, you know. Uh, so I, I did like the relationship building um, aspect. In amongst all this, I was doing um, some PSA stuff, which is really important. So people get involved, you know, get decisions made by those who turn up. We um, uh, got the ECP white paper happening which is really exciting so that was a couple of years ago now so I chaired the ECP working group the national one and then the ECP white paper group 
That was a big learning um, because I'm a very colloquial person in the sense that I, I, I'd like to think I'm relatable because I'll just have a chat. But when you're in that world, it's like white papers and green papers and people say things with proper sentence structures. <laughs> And I found that really like not confronting, but it was just a new world because my average conversation is probably with a farmer um, and it's to, to make it as um, colloquial as possible, yeah. make your sentence as simple and understandable as possible. And I feel like policy is to make the sentence as difficult to understand as possible so that everyone can read between the lines. Um, so that was also another big learning um, and certainly had a great opportunity to meet and greet with um, like ECPs and NAPSA um, students. So that was really exciting too. Um, but my opportunity came to own a pharmacy. I had um, many years earlier at a conference met a couple um, who at the time, at, you know, at APP, they have the QCPP um, Pharmacy of the Year. The pharmacy I was managing um, won for, what are we going for? Business management and they won for community engagement. You have all these photo opportunities. And I just introduced myself and said, hello. And every year we'd meet again. And um, they'd be like, Taryn, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm having a baby next year. What are you doing? Oh, I'm working in hospital. Then one year they said, what are you doing? I said, I want to buy a pharmacy. <laughs> and they said, would you move? I'm like, where? <laughs> and and then, you know, I think I um, met them in March at APP. I went for a drive to Victoria at Easter. June, I did a locum there, and by March the following year, I had um, had an opportunity to go to the bank and um, move my family and rent a home, house and join a team. And so that's been a huge learning curve the last two years, particularly because I mentioned earlier culture is really important and probably the culture wasn't at all right then and we're getting there now and it's, we've had leaps and bounds on that because um, getting on that same page has meant, as a team, has meant we've been able to do better services for our community. Um, and as for my career pathway going forward, I have a little bit of anxiety around this because when you're an owner, you don't really work in other people's stores anymore. Mm. And I kind of want to. I want to go and work in someone else's store to, to a, say, hey, we do it like this, you should do it like that. Or, oh, I don't really do it like that at all, you know. But I think you get tunnel vision if you work in the same workplace. Um, and when I think about my career, I've got, what, another 35 years in it at least, if not 40. Um and yeah, so my last sort of qualification was my AACP one. So I'm thinking maybe diabetes educator next or something. But then with the young family, it's about balancing that all out so the cup doesn't get too empty. But I guess the point I'm saying is I think um, from conversations, some people think that ownership is a holy grail and I don't believe that it is. I think it's another part of your pathway. Mm. You may not own all the way to your retirement. You might own for 10 years and then sell. Um, but also just because you own doesn't suddenly become your... Um, persona I'm a pharmacy owner no you could be lots of different things as well well and I mean Jared's a good example of that Ross Suyuki talks about following fulfilling opportunities the balance of patient care and teaching and adding on research and carrying out more training balancing opportunities and prioritizing has your career progressed as you might have expected it to has it did you have any ideas of what kind of roles you wanted to do when it's exceeded your expectations? I would say that it's exceeded my expectations. Uh, I, uh, you know, I started out, I wanted to do patient care, and that's mostly what I did. And then the opportunity came up to teach, and I liked it. I thought, uh, that's very, very, very fulfilling. Uh, and so uh, I taught in the pharmacy school uh, in Vancouver, and, and I thought that was... It was a really, uh, it was really exciting. Uh, I liked it, and uh, so I had this perfect balance of, of 
patient care, which are where I spent probably 75% of my time, and then teaching, which I did 100% of the time when it was the cardiology module and the other time I was doing patient care. So I thought that was perfect. Uh, and then I upset it by, by being interested in doing research, but also realizing I needed some further training uh, to, to really be able to do the kind of research I wanted to do. And, and so, uh, so I went back after six years uh, as a, a, you know, an assistant professor. Um, I went back to school and did a master's degree uh, in clinical epidemiology and health research design and a fellowship with a, with a cardiologist and, um, in clinical trials. And so we started writing protocols and, and applying for grants and, and you know, doing uh, big trials. Uh, and so, uh, so for my master's degree, I got to run a um, 76 center, uh, five country heart failure trial with what became known as Candesartan, but we didn't, it didn't even have a name <laughs> at that point. And we did the first trial of, of combination of um, ACE inhibitor by itself versus combination ACE inhibitor and ARB. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, we didn't find any benefit, but at the time we thought that that would be a good combination. And uh, so that was a really, really interesting uh, experience. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot uh, from doing that. So, um, you know, I didn't ask anyone for permission to do that. I just thought it was the right thing to do, so I, I did it. <laughs> and, of course, I was given opportunities. How do you balance all of your opportunities? <laughs> You're assuming that I'm actually balancing it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's uh, yeah. a very yeah, presumptive <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I, I think the thing is that you um, you can't you realize you can't do everything, but do the things that you like the most because those are probably the things you're, that you're good at. Uh, and I find I found that the from uh, there's a disadvantage in being pulled in too many directions. And if you gain some prominence in one thing, people will ask you. They're not shy to ask you to do other things. And they're not people that you even work for. Uh, and, and, you know, we always like to say yes. Uh, but what I did was I had a whiteboard in my office, and I wrote down a few of my objectives just in a little scrawl. And I kept it up there so that when somebody phoned me or I was answering my email, I could look up at the, at the board and say, is that going to help me to get there? Actually, no. Okay, well, then I won't do it. Uh, so it's a matter of of prioritizing that and that was difficult to to have the discipline to do uh, but you you can't do everything and uh, so that was um, that was something that, that that's something that I tell the people that I mentor is focus on what what you want to do I'm not going to tell you what you want to do but if you know write it down I make them write it down on their whiteboard in their office uh, and uh, and when we meet regularly, I say, so, you know, are you are you doing anything that isn't helping you to get there? 
and sometimes you know a few things slip through and uh so I give them a rough time about that. <laughs> and uh, no, it, it, you know, it's a matter of focusing. Uh, and uh, and um, that's how you get things done. Uh, you know, I'm lucky that uh, I have an understanding family and, and um, uh, my wife, who's a pharmacist as well, is also very busy. Uh, um, but uh, I do much more traveling than she does. And so... We take turns, but mostly it's 90% of the time it's me that's away. And so, for example, this week, I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity to come here and speak at the Guild meeting and uh, come to Melbourne and meet with you and other people. And uh, it's hard to say no to that. Um, but it's the first week of school. It's the beginning of our academic year. So, I mean, <laughs> you could argue that I'm being irresponsible by being here because I've left my my 18-year-old daughter starting university. Um, I was there for the first day anyway, before I left. And my 14-year-old my daughter is, is in high school, uh, so no worries there. But, uh, you know, uh, all those things that happen at the beginning of school. Plus, the university is starting up again as well, and I'm head of a department. And that, so that means all the teaching is happening. and. Um, I had to make sure that that's covered before I left. And I have to check my email to see what kind of disasters have come up. Thankfully, touch wood, nothing yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, so, you, you know, you have to keep, keep an eye on those things. Renee Beardmore talks about niche pharmacists not needing to be a jack of all trades and unlimited opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, niche pharmacists within pharmacies, niche pharmacists out practicing on their own. Um, there's enough of us to go around now to do that. We don't need to be jack of all trades. You know, I have a particular particular interest in addiction medicine. Um, I've also had bizarrely had an interest in wound care management, although I don't get much opportunity to do that anymore, um, and public health. And so... I think there's that, that's an underutilised area for pharmacists is public health. Um, being at, not, and it's more than just running screening programs, you know, in your pharmacy. Being actually an active participant and understanding pop, pr proper public health rollouts, evaluations, outcomes. So yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, it's unlimited. Adam Lavori discusses opportunities being proactive and listening, as well as unique opportunities to prepare for interviews. He also discusses transferable skills, as well as unpaid work experience, learning from experience, and looking at what you've enjoyed and having the same standard baseline. I think it's sort of, yeah, equal parts willing to, to take on opportunity and willing to listen to other people, um, matched with, I guess, being proactive and, and actively seeking those things out. Um, so prior to the role that I had at Ballarat-based hospital, um, I was working as a nuclear pharmacist, and that was something that I'd pursued over a, a number of years. Um, and I sort of got to a point where I, I was able to sort of achieve what I'd been working towards for 10 years, and I sort of got there, and I realised I was now at a point where I either go whole hog because I'm going to de-skill myself in a lot of other things to pursue this, um, or do I use that as a, a pivot point to say... I, did, I can say I did it. I'll never have that regret if I'm in another role. 
Um, and I decided to make that choice to pivot and primarily because I missed patient contact um, extensively. I, I really, really missed it um, over the two years I was doing it. And then um, similar thing, like I um, never specifically wanted to go into cardiology. Um, but when the opportunity ar- arose to sort of combine technology, patient care and research in this role and it happened to be in cardiology, I just sort of decided to um, do some research into it. So probably one of a, a weird thing for, for some people to consider is when I went for the job interview, I wrote a literature review on the job itself. Um, so collected things about prevalence of cardiovascular disease, looked at inequalities in regional Victoria, specifically the Ballarat region, and looked at how telehealth can impact that. And so going into the interview, I was able to hand a you know 3,000 word lit- literature review to the, to the interviewers, which obviously scored points. But by the same token, it really gave me a, an understanding of what the role was, and I was ready to take that take that opportunity so as weird as it might sound sometimes doing some like systematic reading about a job that you may or may not be interested in is a really great way to sort of help you make that decision rather than pursue something for 12 months in practice and then realize ah this isn't for me and you know I know people sometimes can feel like they're doing one step forward two steps back when they change roles it's not always the case providing that you're able to to pull that information from a different part of your practice into a new role as well, which definitely is the case for the work I did as a nuclear pharmacist. It was all quality control, systematic based, a lot of um, lot of analysis, and I've been able to bring those those qualities where I'm sitting in a room with clinicians that may or may not have that kind of experience with being able to create robust, strict screening tools and things like that, which I had to to in order to you know release a radioactive drug in a safe manner. So mainly ischemic heart disease and heart failure. Um, So at Ballarat Base, we have a a cath lab service, um, which has made a a massive difference uh, to the area as far as cardiovascular outcomes are concerned. Um, But we don't have cardiothoracic surgery. So things like bypass grafts, valvuloplasty, those are things that we're still um, referring through normally to the Alfred or to Barwon. Um, And that's just due to the mix of specialists that we have and where their sort of previous connections lie. Whether or not this is perhaps hypercritical of me or not is that I think a lot of a lot of people always want to be paid for their time, and a lot of the things that that I've been able to to get opportunities, a lot of it has been because I've been willing to not be paid for it um, and engage in work experience and things like that. A lot of people think our oh, work experience is only for for awkward sixteen year olds to put stickers on cups or something like that, but uh, definitely not. Um, Every, every holiday that I had during my, my pharmacy career, I would volunteer at a particular store or, or industry or something to, to gain some perspective because at the end of the day, people are more than happy to have someone work for free. Um, and as a career pharmacist, I think that's still, still the case. You know, you can, and it, ultimately it's going to be your choice, but if you want to use a week of your annual leave to perhaps approach a, you know, like a big pharma company or something like that and ask, look, I want to engage with this, this part of the profession, then you should do it. But if you're going to wait for the perfect job to come up um, so that you can apply for it with no prior knowledge or experience but feel that you need to do it, well, you know, you have to have a certain level of, of preparedness that you may, may be disappointed. Um. And I think that's that would probably be my my advice. My career has been varied because I've been willing to to jump into different situations, and a lot of them that I haven't enjoyed. You know, it's, it's easy for me to talk about the positive aspects, but there've been plenty of different jobs that I've or opportunities that I've sought that have been terrible. Um, 
so I think that would be my advice is that, yes, you know, for the purposes of training as a pharmacist, which I think is an important aspect that we can never uh, steer away from. I think we're always talking about all these different opportunities in different areas. At the end of the day, and it's the same for, and it's something that we should be modeling the way that um, the medical profession do it, is that you need to be a competent, safe pharmacist, period, because that's what pharmacists do. As far as subspecialties, 100% we should pursue those. But I think we all need to make sure that we're starting from the same baseline before we go into it. Because otherwise then we're not pharmacists. We're something else. Um, yeah, hope that answers your question. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at ajppodcast.